Today I'll be reading passages from Proverbs. Do not plan evil against your neighbors who dwells trustingly beside you. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Many seek the favor for a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a grateful man lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself with a snare. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Iron sharpens iron, and and one man sharpens another. Every other day, I run through beautiful gardens in New Westminster. They're called the Friendship Gardens. There are ponds with mini falls, stepping stones, paths, native plants, Yoshino cherry trees, and a Japanese-styled bridge. Why? In 1962, a typhoon blew through what was a forested grove and uprooted many large trees, leaving huge holes where their roots had been torn up. A member of the Parks and Recreation Department's gardening staff loved Japanese water gardens. And so the holes on the newly damaged landscape, were redeveloped into a beautiful garden. In 1963, New Westminster and Moriguchi, Japan, became sister cities, the first twinning of Canadian and Japanese cities. Today, the Friendship Gardens feature Yoshino cherry trees, a gift from the city of Moriguchi. The modern concept of sister or friendship cities has its roots in the Second World War. After the end of the war, solidarity links were established to foster friendship and understanding among former foes as an act of peace and reconciliation. The thought was that friendship, uh, knowledge of and appreciation for one another, would keep us from harming one another. Friendship is really important. We sing a lot about being friends. University of McGill neuroscientist uh, Daniel J. Levitin, in his bestseller The World in Six Songs, argues that six types of songs have played a central role in the development of the human brain and human society. Love, joy, comfort, knowledge, religion, and friendship. For decades, we've been listening to songs about friendship. With a little help from my friends, Beatles, 1967. You've Got a Friend, Carol King, 1971. Lean on Me, Bill Withers, 1972. That's What Friends Are For, Stevie Wonder, 1985. Anytime You Need a Friend, Mariah Carey, 1993. You've Got a Friend in Me, from Toy Story, 1994. I'll Be There for You, The Rembrandts, 1995, from the hit show Friends. Count on Me, Bruno Mars, 2010. Real Friends, Kanye West, 2016. Real Friends, Camille Cabello, 2018. It's nice to have a friend, Taylor Swift, 
Swift 2019. The dominant idea is that you need friends. You can count on them when you need them. The songs I listed reveal there's been a bit of a transition from singing about friends who will be there for you to a search for real friends. The question is, is there anyone out there you can count on? Friendships are very important for the wisdom writers of Proverbs. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity, Proverbs 17, 17. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, Proverbs 18, verse 24. The word sticks is the Hebrew word for emotional commitment. It is deliberate love given as a gift. The idea is that a true friend is sensitive to your emotional state and is committed to your flourishing. A true friend can be even better than a sibling. Using Daniel Levitin's six categories of songs, Jonathan Friedman analyzed 1,015 songs. 24 were about friendship. Guess how many were about romantic love? 694. In our culture, we look much more for romantic love, often dependent on a sexual relationship, than we look for friendship. But it is friendship that is indispensable. A true friend is not a fair-weather friend. True friends remain close even in times of adversity, even when there is no personal interest in honoring the friendship. They are just as true to your interests as to their own. They are there through thick and thin. In fact, friends are sometimes more valuable than relatives during hard times. Again, do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Proverbs 27, verse 10. The words friend and neighbor come from the same Hebrew root, and sometimes it's hard to know how to translate the word. The point of this last verse is very clear. Don't burn bridges with good friends, not even your father's friends. Your father's friends are tried and tested over two generations. When trouble comes or help is needed, you can count on not only your friends, but also their families. All of these relationships must be honored. So treasure true, reliable friends. Of course, there are different levels of friendship. A person with many acquaintances, with many run-of-the-mill friends, many Facebook friends, may be shattered in times of need because those enduring, more intimate relationships have not been fostered. Treasure true friends who want you to flourish. They are not so easy to find. Proverbs 20, verses 5 and 6. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Many a man proclaims steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find? Wise friends will draw out what is in our hearts, the deeper, more intimate things, but then treat our confidence in them as something sacred. Many people will tell a person they are loyal, but are they truly reliable? When the chips are down, will our friends actually come through for us? Will they assist us when they are threatened? Most people want to be our friends when we can be useful to them. 
a few weeks ago, I shared a few vignettes from the life of Agnes Pauls. When the Stalin regime collectivized all farmland, she became a state criminal because her parents were wealthy landowners. She was denied the right to a citizenship pass. Anyone who assisted her would, be, would put their own life in danger. When Agnes finally escaped the concentration camps of Siberia and found her way back to South Russia, her very own relatives looked on her with suspicion. People who had enjoyed the abundance of their family dinner table before the Russian Revolution would not lend her a hand. Talk of friendship is cheap. Friendship is tested in moments of danger and uncertainty. This leads us into a conversation about the complicated relationship between friendship and money. Agnes had been very wealthy and esteemed, but was now poor and marginalized. The wisdom writers of Proverbs talk openly about this. The poor is disliked even by his own neighbor, but the rich has many friends, Proverbs 14, verse 20. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friends. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. All the poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but does not have them. Proverbs 19, verses 4 and 6 and 7. Here is a hard, unvarnished truth. Here is the dark side of human nature. Almost everyone wants to be a friend of the rich but almost no one wants to associate with the poor. The poor often find themselves quarantined when they have a need. Why? They usually have needs that require attention. Some people will also avoid them because of the stigma attached to them. On the other hand, people crowd around wealth. Why? The rich have resources that may benefit their friends. They are often people of influence. They can open doors. This possibility of reward feeds the greedy nature of friends. Some also feed on the sense of identity acquired through association with the rich. So the rich have many friends. Befriend people for who they are, not for what they have. I have never had large amounts of money to give or invest but when I have had, have had some money, I have found that my contact information is very easy to find. People find me over and over again. When I have invested and people have owed me money, my contact information has been hard to find. The same people lose my phone number, lose my email address, my Facebook account. They cannot find me, and I cannot find them. Curious. Money and friendship require much wisdom. When money is involved, it is hard to know whether a friend is truly a friend or just a leech because people present themselves so positively to those from whom they expect to gain favors. When I worked for MB Mission, I was the global program director. In many countries, I was viewed as the one with power or at least influence, to make those financial decisions. So people would seek to honor me, take me out for dinner, give me a personal gift, 
They would show me projects worthy of investment. Money can really complicate relationships. Having said this, the wisdom writers in Proverbs are clear. We are to be generous to the poor. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs 14, verse 21. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Proverbs 29, verse 7. We are to be generous because God is generous. We are to give cheerfully out of the abundance we have received. But here's a warning to note. If we are giving money to a friend, we should not loan the money expecting to be repaid. At least six times the wisdom writers tell us not to give loans or secure debts, whether for a friend or a stranger. One who does this lacks judgment. Many years ago, I was about to buy a car. A friend of mine who had come to faith through the ministry of our church came to me with an urgent need. He needed a certain sum of money to pay a loan, and he promised to return the money to me within a week. Having observed his growth in Christ, I borrowed him the money. A number of weeks passed, and it became apparent he would not be able to repay me. It began to affect our friendship. He distanced himself, so I forgave the loan. But he had already come under shame, and it was difficult to rebuild the friendship. I had not acted with wisdom. The wisdom writers of Proverbs would tell us, if you are going to give money to a friend, do not loan the money. Give it outright. And if our friend cannot repay the money, we are not to harbor offense. Whoever covers offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Proverbs 17, verse 9. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Proverbs 11, 12, and 13. The New Testament writers repeat these Proverbs with words like, Love covers a multitude of sins, 1 Peter 4, 8. And love keeps no record of wrongs, 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Friendship overlooks offense and thinks the best of others. True friends honor their friends whether they are present or not. They do not enter into malicious slander that undermines or divides. Even when wronged, they stay quiet in order to protect relationships. They know that friendships built over time can be strained and broken when offense takes root. The wise cover offense with Love. Fools, on the other hand, lack sense. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Proverbs 16, verse 28. Fools thoughtlessly remember a person's failures in conversation with others. Their misleading words unleash suspicion, tension, division, and destruction. They think they are clever. But through their uncontrolled and misleading tongues, they separate people who were close friends. Will we harp on the faults of others, or will we cover offense with love? Bob Goff 
is a Christian lawyer from Seattle. In his book, Love Does, he tells some stories about the nature of friendship. On the morning of September 11, 2001, he sat with his three children around the dining room table. They were processing what had happened in New York City. How would he as a father teach his children to respond to the tragedy? Bob asked his children, If you had five minutes in front of a group of world leaders, what would you ask them? He had them write their answers on a piece of paper. His son, Adam, seven years of age, wrote that he would ask the world leaders if they would come over to his house and consider being friends. His son, Richard, wrote that he would ask the world leaders what they were hoping for. His daughter, Lindsay, wrote that if the world leaders did not want to come to their house, they should go to their homes to ask them what they were hoping for. Bob had his children write their ideas into one letter. Then they downloaded the names of every national leader of every country in the world from the CIA website. They sent personal letters to all of them, hundreds of letters. Then they waited. After a few weeks, letters began to arrive, hundreds of them. Most of them said, thanks, but no thanks. But then one fine Tuesday, they opened a letter and there was an invitation to a palace in Bulgaria. A few days later, the prime minister of Switzerland invited them to Bern. Then came a letter from the president of Israel. In the end, they had received 29 invitations. What should they do? Bob took his children out of school and and embarked on a global tour with them. Usually, the visit would begin in the official reception room. But when the national leaders realized the children had no agenda other than to be friends, they would take them back to their private offices. The children would ask questions about their families, how they had become politicians, and what they hoped for in the future. They would talk about friendship. At the end of each conversation, the kids thanked the world leaders for taking the time to meet. Then they handed the leader a small red present. Each leader carefully unwrapped their present, only to discover they had been gifted with a key a key to the front door of the Goff home. The kids told the leaders to come visit them, since they were now friends. One day, after their world tour, Lindsay, the daughter, opened up her email, and there was a short note from a leader. Dear Lindsay, we miss you and your brothers. Can we please use our key and come over for a sleepover? And they did. Love covers a multitude of sins. We may not have the money of an American lawyer to take our children out of school and go on a world tour visiting national leaders, but we can model in everyday life how to be friends to those who disagree with us, disrespect us, and sometimes harm us. When we are offended, and sooner or later we will all suffer offense, we can teach our children the way of forgiveness, love, and blessing. We can cover sin with love, or we can harp on the faults of others and encourage more conflict. 
With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but knowledge, the righteous, but by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. Proverbs 11, verse 9. The mouth of the godless leads to harm for those who are close to them because it lacks knowledge. The speech of the righteous, on the other hand, is based on knowledge of God and his wisdom and enables those around them to navigate life's difficulties. Love opens the door for friendship. So, should we just befriend anyone then? The wisdom writers of Proverbs would encourage us to be discerning. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25. The quick-tempered person is like a bomb with a short fuse, ready to explode at any moment. Remember, if a person is habitually angry, something deeper is going on. They are usually so obsessed by their own desires that they totally neglect our needs. In fact, our needs aren't on their radar. They only want their desires fulfilled, and sooner or later, they will turn their anger on us and harm us. But there is a wounding we should be open to. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 27, verse 6. The bruises of a friend are worthy of our consideration because these wounds are inflicted with the good purpose of helping us grow. The wounds are faithful, the the, the criticism constructive. We all have blind spots which we will not see without wounding friends. If we're wise, we will hope for this kind of correction. For example, it's not unusual for someone who cannot sing well to audition for America's Got Talent. When asked why they are auditioning, they will often say, my friends tell me I can sing. To which Simon Cowell will reply, you need better friends. Our true friends will praise our strengths and also give us a window into our weaknesses. I remember going salmon fishing with my older cousin. After observing me casting my line for about half an hour, he calmly said, Ray, my golf coach tells me that If I swing my golf club the wrong way a hundred times, it will still be wrong. You need to adjust your cast. That was the critical comment of a friend wanting to teach me to catch salmon. And I did. One of the best known and often quoted proverbs is this one. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Proverbs 27 verse 17. The proverb is often cited in the context of male friendship, but it also applies to women. Rubbing the iron of a sword against a sharpening iron produces a sharp edge. So the only real question is, what does sharpening a person imply? Interaction with devoted friends makes us better. True friends help us navigate through life's challenges. If we're acting foolishly, our friends will tell us. Choose Wounding friends. Choose wounding friends. This kind of wounding is contrasted with the kisses, the pleasant speech and actions of someone who is actually an enemy. Enemy kisses are deceitful. The classic example, of course, is Judas' betrayal of Jesus with a kiss. Dwayne Garrett and Kenneth Harris write, 
The wounds of a friend are meant to cut to the heart for the good of the person, whereas the kisses of an enemy are devised to appease the heart in order to hide the hurt that is to come. Sometimes a person will pretend to be your friend, bait you into conversation, act as if they support you in your perspective, and then use what you have said against you. Once you discern this behavior, don't share your heart with that person again. If you do, you're acting like a fool and exposing yourself to ongoing pain. If you are going to be wounded, open yourself to the wounding of true friends. Proverb, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Proverbs 27, verse 9. Earnest means from the heart. Earnest counsel is a luxury to be cherished. The images of an ancient host providing perfumed oils for his guests at a banquet. Olive oil on the face and fragrant incense on the garments that produced a sense of well-being. Sweet food was on the table. There's a deep sense of well-being when friends honor us when we are absent and gift us with earnest counsel when we are present at their table. Be that kind of friend for others. Your friends trust you to be good to them. Another proverb. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Proverbs 3.29. Your friend feels secure with you, so don't take advantage of that trust. Rather, help your friend when it is in your power to do so. Another proverb. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it. When you have it with you, Proverbs 3, 27 and 28. You may have any number of things to offer, money, food, a tool your friend needs, a word of counsel, a certain type of expertise. Be attentive to the needs of your friends. Sometimes we do not have great friends because we are not great friends. Be the true friend you want others to be to you. Be the true friend you want others to be to you. These proverbs that we have read remind us of the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus was asked a question, Who is my neighbor? And in response, Jesus told a story of a man who had been assaulted, stripped, and left half dead. Two religious leaders passed by and did nothing. But a Samaritan, a man from a despised ethnic group, stopped to help. He bound up the man's wounds, took him to an inn, and cared for him. Jesus ended with a question. Who was the neighbor? And this is the question for us. Are we good neighbors? Are we good friends? Bob Goff and his family were touring the world visiting the leaders of nations. On one occasion, they stopped to visit the leader of a former communist nation, now a dictatorship. His children were led into a large reception room. Heavy steps came down the hall. A stout man with a grave expression entered the room, walked over to the children and said with a strong accent, Kids, I'm more nervous meeting you than if I were meeting President Bush right now. And when I get nervous, I get hungry. With that, 
His expression changed completely. He clapped his hands, and the palace servants entered with strawberry tarts, cherries, pastries, and mountains of ice cream, the kind of food kids would eat. When they had had their fill, the leader leaned over to them and whispered, You know, when I was your age, my dad pretended he had forgotten his hat in the woods and sent me to fetch it. I was afraid of the bears, afraid the bears were going to get me, so I would whistle. And he proceeded to whistle a song and encouraged the kids to join him. When he finished, he leaned over to the kids and said, This is my promise to you. I'll never let the bears get you. Having made that promise, he shared his thoughts on friendship. Do you know what makes someone a friend, he asked? A friend doesn't just say things. A friend does. It's okay to ask the question, where can I find a good friend? A more important question is, am I a good friend? Am I a true devoted friend? A friend will give his life when the bears attack. Maybe we're not sure we can be that kind of friend. I would encourage us to learn from the one who personifies friendship, Jesus If we study his life, we will see that he was a true friend. He befriended rich and poor, men and women, Jews and non-Jews, for who they were, not for what they had. He covered offense with love. He was a wounding friend. Do you remember his hard words for his disciples? Do you remember his hard words for the religious leaders? Jesus was a true friend. He wanted people to know his Father, understand his will, and flourish. Listen to what he said to his first disciples. John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. After saying these words... He laid down his life for us, literally. He was wounded for us. And we are Jesus' friends if we lay down our lives for one another, if we love one another. How can we possibly do that, you may ask? How can you and I love like Jesus? In that same conversation with his disciples, Jesus said to them, John 14, 15, and 16, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Jesus has placed his spirit within us to produce that kind of divine love. Jesus sticks closer than a brother. He abides within us by his spirit and enables us to be true friends. Let's follow Jesus together and be the friends he's called us to be. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you again that you, out of love, sent your Son, Jesus, for our salvation. And Jesus, you came and you revealed the heart of the Father. You came full of grace and truth. And you reached out to men and women while you were here on earth in love. You were a true friend. And then you demonstrated that love in the most complete, amazing, astounding way when you gave your life for us. You have modeled friendship for us, Jesus. 
And you have sent your Holy Spirit to abide in us so that we might live in your way. So, Lord, may we be true, devoted friends. May we cover offense with love. May we do good to our friends. May we share with them all that you have given to us. We have been blessed in so many ways. And so we meet, we, may we be generous with, with all that you have placed in our hands. Jesus, we thank you that you are our friend. And you inspire us, you enable us to be friends. Lord, as a Willingdon Church family, may we learn to be friends to one another. May we learn to be friends to those outside of our church communities. So many in our world needing a friend today. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to leave a few questions for you to, to ponder. God bless you.